0: Ten, nine, eight, seven, six, five, four, three, two, one. Game
1: over. Welcome to Game Over Montreal. That was that was something. It was, yeah, the Canadians. Let's get right into it. I've got Dom Lucision and Noah Bashir here with me. How is it going, everyone?
0: I signed up for this.
1: <laughs> I'm sorry. I was gonna. I was gonna apologize to you on Twitter for making you watch that game.
0: Yes, yes. I will take. I will take payment in chocolate for my suffering. I will take <laughs> my damages in chocolate. It's the only thing that'll work.
1: Oh man, I personally enjoyed that game a lot. <laughs> yes. Yes, we know, Dom. I was hoping that uh, you'd have a little bit more sports pain tonight, but no, no such, no such thing.
2: No, Leafs don't play tonight, so I threw on the Wild Jersey and watched them uh, just completely demoralize a franchise that has already been demoralized a lot this season.
1: <laughs> oh, I, I don't think there's any, like, moral left to demoralize. Like, mm-hmm. there's, you, you look at the the slate of, People like in the chat, people were like pain, suffering. That was certainly something. Like there this it's just beating the dead horse with the stick at this point. There's there's not much left. I do find like this is kind of what was going to happen with how much they were giving up defensively the last three games. But the last three games, they were kind of exchanging that awful defensive play for like a few really great offensive plays, kind of like trading chances, and because they're so much worse, they would only get a few chances, but they were making bank on them, and they didn't really get those chances tonight either. So it was just like (laughs) worst of both worlds, unfortunately, for the Montreal Canadiens. They didn't give much entertainment value to their fans tonight. Um, Yeah. Uh, I guess three games in a row, it, it looked like, not that they were putting something together, but The give-a-shit level was higher. I'll say that. And that was not there today after they scored the first goal.
0: Well, I know that as a fan, you're hoping for wins. Ha, 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 ha. What a joke, right? But, like, even the overtime losses were, like, hope. It's like, oh, we we got to overtime. Wow. Like, again, the bar is not even on the floor. It's, like, in a crater. But still, just, like, yay, overtime losses. And at the end of the first, I was thinking... This is this should be way more lopsided than it is. Why did I even think that? Like bad idea. <laughs> Just leave it alone. <laughs> because of course, of course, i like, if I think something or if I say something, I'm magically gonna affect the sport. Everyone knows that's bogus. But still, that's that's what happened, right?
1: I mean it's like the illusion of hope, right?
0: Yeah, or at I least something I to look hope. forward to. Well, and with primo playing as well as he did in the first period. Part of me was like, you know, I really wish we were beyond being the team. Like I'm really sick of the Habs identity being that the only thing we have going for us is the goalie. And then as soon as I thought that, we just they just scored and scored and scored on us. And I was like, never mind, our identity can just be that we have nothing going for us. It it can just, instead of having the goalie going for us, it can just be zero.
2: As an outsider, it really did feel like there was absolutely nothing going on for that team. Um, I didn't watch like the full game. I was watching some other games I had money on, um, but I did have it on in the background. I was half paying attention and it never felt like Montreal was threatening at all. They didn't have much of the puck when they did have it. They lost it quickly. It was just, I know not all the games are like that. I know there's some games where they seem competitive, but the last...
1: Most of them, Dom, are kind of like that. Yeah. The XG
2: was 4 to 0.9. I feel like it's not always that horrific, but...
1: There have been a few games like that. Um, I can imagine. the la-
2: I, I know the last two, they got, well, like, 50 shots against or something like that. Uh, Just...
1: Two of the last three. The la- they yeah. only allowed, like, 48 to Colorado. Uh, like, come okay. on. Ha- that was a tight defensive effort, all right? <laughs> what Like, what happened here? This is horrendous. The funny thing is, they're healthier now <laughs> than they have been.
0: <laughs>
1: it's I don't bad. know.
0: I don't know. It's re- and I feel like, honestly, I can't imagine the fact that they've been on the road for as long as they've been. Like, you know when things just really stink at work? And you're like, I just, I just need this to be over. Oh, it's been such a long day. It's been such a long week. It's been such a long month, whatever. Like, I can't imagine that they can, I don't know how you can possibly be motivated for any of this at this point. If you are the haves, like, I guess, I guess the thing they can be motivated for is that, okay, there's like the new GM and the new, like the front office is, is in now. And so I've got to prove where I fit or whatever. Um, so, maybe they can try to find some motivation there. But, like, I, I, I get it. I get people phoning it in at this point, like, just from a psychological perspective.
2: Yeah. Yeah. I, I couldn't show up for this.
1: Yeah. I, I don't. I mean, even if you're getting paid decent money, I think that when you go into the rink every morning for your morning skate and you know there's like a 90% chance that you're going to lose, that has to just drag on you day in and day out. Like, everybody who is still trying, I have a lot of respect for. (laughs) Honestly, like, just throwing stuff at the wall, seeing what sticks, you know? Uh, I think there was less fight in this game than they have had the last three. Uh, I don't know if that had to do more with the fact that they were exhausted 10th game on the road and they all just want to go home, or if it was just the Wild were uh, like more stingy defensively than the other teams that they've faced, which, I mean, they face the Dallas stars and Arizona coyotes. So they're not facing the yeah. higher levels, but they did face the Colorado avalanche and that's they seem to get through them a little bit better, but I don't know. The avalanche were also on a set. Somebody was saying they had played like three games in five days coming into that or four and six it was or something six like and that. nine. Okay. Six and nine. That's what it was. So it was like, so even worse. You know, yeah, yeah. There's things working for them like a little bit off. So, Still, it's the Colorado Avalanche, so you had to give the Canadians a little bit of credit just for like sticking with them a little bit. But this is uh, an incredible mess, and I see some questions flying around like, yes, the team is bad, but to be this bad, even this roster shouldn't be this bad. And starting
0: scored. Geordie Ben. I know
1: <laughs> a nice goal too. Like what the yes. hell?
0: <laughs> like Geordie Ben looked like a skilled scorer on that goal.
1: Geordie Ben driving down the middle like Bobby oh Orr.
0: My oh my God. Uh, beard flowing. <laughs> I don't
1: know. <laughs> yeah. I see uh, our lovely mod, Robert Malloy, uh, copying Dom's tweet saying you ate to see it, Andrew. <laughs> I was chatting with Julian McKenzie in the, the end of the game there in DMs, and he was saying like, this is a pretty good joke by Dom for once. And I was like, don't worry. Eight to two is just f- two, four to one leads. So we used to blow that too.
2: They, they will blow that, but they won't get to the point where they lose eight to two because they're not a horrific team.
1: It's true. <laughs> They'll just split it up and do it twice.
2: Or uh, six times. I actually don't know how many times they've done it. It's too many to count at this point.
1: It was, uh, it was. I think Sports at Stats had it uh, last time they did it. They said it's been s- six times, and the mm-hmm. next worst team is only four. Yeah, that sounds about right. Par for the course. Yeah, they. Everybody knows what sports pain is all about. That's no, it's nobody is. It's like only, nobody's immune. Yeah, nobody's immune. I mean, even the Lightning who are. On the back like back-to-back stanley cups the year before that had like the most crushing first round of anyone right so it comes for us all
0: you can choose your your like team based on which kind of crushing works better for you like constant disappointment or like highs followed by just intense blows or which way works which way works best with your psyche
1: entirely true all right, I Actual wanted consistency. To, yeah, I wanted to talk about uh, Caden Primo a little bit because you mentioned Noah that he had a decent first period, and I agree. I thought the uh, f- the first goal honestly shouldn't have counted. I don't think because first of all, Spurgeon brained Dvorak right before he scored, and oh, second, wild. Yeah, it was it was pretty bad. It was a bad hit. I'd be surprised if that one's not reviewed mm-hmm. by the league. But uh, and then on the actual goal, I thought Eck caused some goaltender interference there, pushing I think it was Ben Charat back into into Primo, and you can see on the shot that like Primo never has a chance to get set. The first yeah. period, I thought he was solid. He was solid the last game, but then things fell apart, and I like people are just absolutely ragging on him on Twitter, and I agree that like at least one of the goals was not great, but he can't seem to string together two back to back decent games but I feel like beyond expected goals, there's something that happens with goalies where teams just allow grade a chance after grade a chance after grade a chance. And eventually you start to fall apart a little bit and he's just, he's not a prime franchise goaltender or anything. So that happens to him relatively quickly and the Canadians have done him no favors whatsoever. and. Geez, what they did to McNiven in that third period, they didn't give him anything to work with. So I'm just I'm not in a spot where I'm blaming Primo right now. I don't know how you guys are feeling. Yeah, no. I
2: don't think it's his fault. The team in front of him, I mean, did him absolutely zero favors in the first period, in the second period. And no matter how good the goalie is in front, uh, or how good the defense is in front of the goalie or how good the goalie is in front of the defense, you need both things working and right now the entire team in front of Primo is a mess you can't really fault him for much even if they even if he was average they're still down because of what was happening in front of him
0: yeah I I don't think it's his fault at all like I the only way I survived this game was to tell myself that I'm just going to enjoy the pretty hockey that Minnesota's (laughs) even if Montreal's like an absolute disaster because otherwise I was just gonna like turn it off or throw something at the TV. So that's what I was trying to do on those goals was like, well, well that was nicely played by Minnesota or like they, they put a lot of pressure there and the Habs just absolutely fold. They just absolutely fold. And so I can't blame him. It's not, he can't do it by himself. Like he's the last line of defense. He's not supposed to be the only line of defense. It's, I, I think, um, honestly, I, uh, maybe i don't know i have a soft spot for goalies especially like i feel like if they're getting completely hung out to dry by the team i can't i can't fault them
1: yeah i'm I'm with you i also have a soft spot for goalies i was a goalie growing up so i'm biased and uh, i always favor the goalie unless it's like an offside review and then i say <laughs> <he> kill offsides <laughs> with fire <Yeah. laughs>
0: i he made some really great saves too like early on like there were some other chances that i thought okay that might go in
2: and he didn't let them in. I I do not have a soft spot for goalies. I feel like we often don't blame them enough. Um, I was a skater (laughs) growing up and we had two goalies and one of them was just a lot better. And the other one, nice kid, but he let in some terrible goals and you can just (laughs) feel the energy on the bench just deflate when he's like, Oh, there he is again, just letting in a backbreaker. And I, I wonder if that has some effect uh, for players when they know their fourth or fifth string goalies in and you hope that it goes well. And then it just the dam breaks and you're like, oh, well, there it is.
1: Yeah. And I feel like that's, what we kind of covered at the beginning, but I feel like when you're getting phenomenal performances, three games in a row from your third and fourth string goaltenders, like this kind of game was coming yeah and like i'm a big proponent of the idea that you learn the least about your team during a blowout for or against but at the same time i'm like this is kind of this this
0: is like they're not this bad but like
1: it's been this kind of season right it's
0: andrew even before the season right like the Habs just do nothing and then expect their goalies to bail them out. And then they live and die by whether their goalie bails them out. Like, so when they're good, it's because their goalie's bailing them out. And when they're bad, it's because their goalie isn't bailing them out, but nobody else does anything. <laughs> like, and to your point about the, the fifth string goalie or whoever being in the net, the team right now is kind of like the fifth string team playing. <laughs> so I don't really feel like it's fair to put it all on the goalie either.
1: Yeah, it's it's not great. Uh, <laughs> I've been kind of like going back and forth this season on Dom Ducharme, not necessarily in like, is he good or is he bad? So much as like, how much blame should he take? Considering the hand he was dealt is pure garbage <laughs> like, coming into this season. Like I wanted to see some re like him take the reins and rejig how he was doing things see like what his system was going to be and i was interested to see that because he's a relatively young coach and he was supposed to be i mean according to mark bergevin a progressive coach but uh as this season goes on and the the canadians are to be continuing to be given crap hands right like they still have a lot of very important players out he has never had a healthy roster this season but at the same time last Last season, as soon as he took over, everybody got injured as well. It was only in the Mm -hmm. playoffs when they got healthy. But at the same time, I'm not seeing anything that he's putting together that's working. So it's like, yes, you got dealt a crappy hand, but I'm not seeing like a kid line being put together and stuck together that is going to function in the future. I'm not seeing... A line being put put together like, these are the guys that I think are going to stick around for next year, so let's get them some chemistry. I'm not seeing any solutions on the fly. And I'm just starting to wonder, what can he do to save his job as the season goes on? Because, hey, you know what? Here, here's a good point, or a good positive for Canadians fans. You did it. It's halfway through the season. It's half over. (laughs) But how can (laughs) Dom Deschamps in the second half, save his job going into 2022-2023?
0: So, uh, I don't know if I missed it, but, or if he, when he called the timeout, I don't know if I missed him yelling at the team, but what, when I, when the camera panned to him, he was just standing there like, doo, 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 doo. I was like, okay, so why'd you call the timeout buddy? Like, I swear to God, every time they pan to him on the bench, every time I'm seeing him, He's never doing anything. He's never going over to the players and talking to them. He's never drawing anything up on the board. He's never doing anything. And I'm kind of going, okay, I maybe, maybe you're doing it off camera somehow, but like what 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 where is the coaching? I'm not seeing any coaching. And maybe I'm, you know, oversimplifying it as a fan who wants to maybe it's happening behind closed doors, maybe it's happening wherever. But he seems like he just stands there on the bench and doesn't really do anything and doesn't adjust and doesn't like. You're saying, what can he do to save his job? And I'm going to say, does he have to save his job? Really? Like, maybe. You think he head wants head. to? <laughs> well, he. Wa- I imagine he wants to. But I also, I really liked, Um, I was reading, I, can, I don't honestly even know, I think it was a summary from the press conference with Kent Hughes. And he was asked about the coaching. And he said, you know, I'm not necessarily going to bring in my own coach, but I'm going to. I don't know. Meet with Ducharme or watch Ducharme and give him like give him a chance to prove that he can be a modern coach. And I was like, yes, thank you, good words. And then he said also um something else. He said I think about the fact that he wanted the team to be an offensive team. Yeah, which was such a breath of fresh air after like, well, we're just going to build from the goalie out. And yes, you need a good goalie, but for God's sakes, you can't just be a defensive. T- he said. We've got to be strong defensively, but you can't win in today's NHL without offense. And I was like, oh my God, when's the last time you heard someone in Montreal say that in the front office? Never. So is, is Ducharme actually going to do anything? I don't, I don't see him doing any of the stuff you're talking about. Um, I, I don't know if he'll get to keep the job anyway because of that contract and because of the fact that they're still paying Julia. Like, I don't even know how many coaches they're paying at this point when you like the graveyard uh, Julian's the
1: contract. contract is over at the end of the season. So it'll only be okay. Dom unless they hire someone else.
0: Oh, okay. So maybe they can't fire. Him.
2: Uh, I, I don't think his job is salvageable at this point. I think he's just tank commander and they'll find someone worthwhile at the end of the season. I think right now what he's doing is terrific. If your goal is to be the worst team, in the league, um, I think the most telling thing about a coach, especially with a team in this position is how do the young players look? Uh, because they are like babies, their children, their hockey minds are the most, I guess, malleable. And one of the most exciting things about this, the Canadians before the season started is, okay, this is Suzuki's team, this is Caulfield's team now, what are they going to do? What are they going to take over? Alexander Romanov as well. And all three of them have been so disappointing. And I think the evidence of Ducharme being a better coach would be those players taking that next step and being mentored by someone who can get the most of his players. And those three not doing that is probably one of the worst signs of this season so far.
1: Yeah. I, I always think back to, and I know like competition m- level matters, right? And the jets were the worst team the Canadians faced in the playoffs last year. But when Ducharme went down and was held out of the game due to COVID. <laughs> The Canadians played their best hockey of the playoffs <laughs> under Luke Richardson, and it's not fair. It's really not fair, but I keep on going back to that in my head and I'm like, is this guy just really bad at this Because like. It's a situation where he's took over for a guy who is legitimately one of the best even strength coaches in like the last 30 years in close Julian And he and Julian, the whole time that he was there, had that top line of Tatar, Dano, and Gallagher that just were crushing it at even strength. For three years, they were spectacular. And then as soon as Ducharme takes over, it's like Gallagher breaks his hand, Dano gets a concussion, and the rest of the season, they're just floating. And like Cole Caulfield comes in, brings some energy, scores a couple OT goals to like float them into the playoffs just barely. And then everyone just gets just healthy enough at the start of the playoffs so you can kind of ice that lineup again. And I mean, at even strength, they got their teeth kicked in by Toronto, but Carey Price held the fort well enough that they squeaked out a couple overtime games and took it to game seven. And the Leafs were like, oh, it's game seven. We better just give up then. Fold. Yeah, (laughs) (laughs) let's just completely fold. You can see the body, like the body language at the beginning of the first period. You're like, what the hell is going on here? Did you guys not watch the last, over time like you guys can win this you can try but I digress
2: it, I just it's amazing they're sorry just to go on the Leafs they're it. like body language in like game 5 and 6 like they were down and when the Leafs are down they're a scary team because they have the compete level to come back but for whatever reason game 7 rolls around it's just they forget that energy level completely and they are scared shitless basically
1: yes yes it's very funny
2: it is hilarious, especially now seeing how bad the team they lost to has become. I think yeah. that adds so much comedy to his like you lost to this franchise.
1: Yeah, I mean, I think not having Price or Weber in the full mm-hmm. <laughs> makes it like a little bit and different. Dineau. But and know, yeah. yeah, I mean, Dino might be the biggest loss of all. Honestly, I think mm-hmm. the, the insulation that he gave Suzuki and the other young players, at, at Caulfield, that that line not being there, that top line. It yeah. just like eviscerates the rest of the lineup. Everybody's playing a step above where they should be playing. The only guy who seems to be able to excel is uh, at the forward lines is Toffoli. Mm-hmm. I mean, I've, I think Druen has had a good season offensively, but he's kind of gotten lucky on the defensive side. Um, mm-hmm. This team, it's not, uh, there's not a lot to talk about, honestly. Um <laughs> Hoffman Hoffman scored in a couple games there. Is he worth anything at the trade deadline now? Is anybody to take on the last two years of that contract? No. No.
0: (laughs) (laughs) But it's like Don's saying, even if they like, I'm expecting the team to suck for the next couple of years at least, but the fun part of that should be seeing the kids play well and come into their own. If they can't do that, then your coach is not worth anything.
1: Yeah. Yeah, you, you, there has to be, I know mean, you often hear like hockey people say things like the NHL is not a development league, uh, for bad teams. It sure is like, it has to be, or else you're going to be bad forever. Exactly. <laughs> there's, there's no other way to to do it. Like you have to be able to develop kids at the NHL level, it, even good teams. I think you have to have some level of development at the NHL level. You can't just assume everyone's going to be up and ready to play or else you're going to be wasting some good years of young players who are cheap. Uh comment on here, I guess uh, talking about the playoffs was uh Vegas played legit bad in the playoffs. I feel like there's an argument for that, but also if you look at the way that Vegas still plays now, uh the biggest thing that allowed the Canadians to win that series is that they took a ton of shots from the perimeter and they still do that. Like they are a very perimeter-heavy team. And if Patri's not scoring and Mark Stone is shut down, like what Deneau did to him in the in the playoffs. Like, they are a beatable team. They're better this year, I think, but uh, I don't know if that's necessarily Vegas playing bad is that their style specifically was weak against what the Canadians were doing last year. And the Canadians got lucky enough to score first a lot in the playoffs last year, which allowed them to go into their little defensive shell and then, you know, strike on the counterattack, which was kind of how their roster was built, whereas this year they're down 3 nothing half the time before they can realize their Starting a game. Uh, ignoring the Canadians a little bit, I did want to talk about um, the bullshit going on with the racist incidents, if you guys are good with talking sure. about that. Yeah. Yeah. Did you guys both see PK's uh, little press conference?
0: Yeah, I watched it today. Um, it was... I think that's the, like, it's odd to say, but maybe the calmest or the most measured I've ever heard PK speak. He's usually so like, bombastic yeah yeah and it was really moving i really really appreciated everything he said
1: yeah i thought it's maybe the first time outside of a game situation where i've seen him like mad like i could see him like under the surface he was calm but he was pissed
0: well and and rightly so and i thought it was really interesting how he said you know if if that if jordan isn't jordan Subban and doesn't have a you know a brother in the nhl do you even hear about this because that's the i really like that he kept coming back to that the fact is this stuff happens all the time in every league at every level and we just say the exact same thing oh this is terrible this has no place in our game blah 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 and then hockey's for everyone and then you know pat everyone on the back for saying yay hockey's for everyone and then move on and I'm sorry but that's just (laughs) like it's just not true it's just not true at all like the the half my following from hockey which is admittedly a very small following comes from you know, the fallout of Don Sherry's crap comments a couple of years ago about immigrants and about, but this is just something like you get used to and it's horrible, but it's not like we're not doing anyone any favors pretending that it's these, they're always lone incidents, but how are there this many lone incidents?
1: Two in the same week that Willie O'Ree gets his number retired. I think that's what like really stings about it. And I think it's three incidents since the hockey diversity Alliance released their like incredible ad, which is like, which is, and should be jarring to watch for anyone. Right. That's the whole point of it is like, if you're comfortable watching that ad, you're there's something wrong with you. Mm -hmm. (laughs) But I I want, like, I kind of talked about this earlier today that I think part of why we're hearing about it now is that like people of color are now feeling a bit more empowered to call it out. And not be ostracized immediately. And one thing that stuck out to me when PK was doing his press conference, like he admitted it as well. He actively avoids talking about this stuff. Like you just do not see him or really any of the Subban family calling out racism or talking about racism that much. It's happened more on like PK on his Instagram over the last year or so. But for the most part, he doesn't get like, into it. He doesn't wade in very often. He tries to do like actions, like his Blue Line Buddies program. Yeah. But I'm glad that he is because he is like the biggest voice in the NHL community in that respect. Also, it was nice to see some of the white players for once for say once. something. John Tavares, shout out. I think Tom Wilson as well. But,
0: yeah, uh, I, I struggle. is like, Tom Wilson, do I have to be happy? I know. Tom <laughs> but I can't speak for PK, obviously, but I, the fact that he doesn't speak out about it often, um, I, I get that completely because as a member of a marginalized community, every single time you say anything about any sort of mistreatment, you are balancing that between, are you now going to be accused of, um, race baiting or, or whatever, like, you know, playing that, that, Quote unquote that card, right? Like, or saying that, you know, playing the victim card. And there's like, (laughs) for someone to say something, the number of times that they don't say anything or that we don't say anything, people don't even hear about those. So, like, we're at the point where hopefully people are feeling more comfortable speaking out. And it took me years to get to that point, too. And I'm sure that people with much bigger platforms and much more um, visibility, like, have to weigh that even even more. Um, But rest assured that if someone's saying something, then they're absolutely positive it happened. (laughs) Because there's tons Mm -hmm. of times that we say nothing. Like, we do the the math and we go, I'm just going to let this one go. Right? So...
1: Yeah. That was something that PK said as well. Like, uh, it was like right at the very end, he was saying that it's not a misunderstanding because if it's a misunderstanding, he's got hundreds of misunderstandings throughout his career. <laughs> and I was like, Oh, PK, he's about to drop some bombs. And he said he was going to, you'll, you can read about it in his book. And I, I know it was kind of like a joke at the end, but God damn it. I hope he writes a book about some of the stuff that's gone on. Cause I've heard Rumors, whispers of some things that happened with PK Subban in Montreal specifically. And if he is willing to actually talk about that, because everything that I've heard is that he doesn't want to talk about that. If he actually does talk about that, I think it's going to set an absolute firestorm through the hockey community.
0: I hope he does. Um, Maybe this is cynical, but I suspect some people would still say, "Oh, that's PK, and he's bitter, and um, that he, you know, was traded, and that he was run out of town." And it's it's actually because he's a there's still unfortunately a large enough segment of the population that's just gonna point to the fact that he's confident and he's outgoing and doesn't like that in someone like PK. Doesn't like to see a confident black superstar. Um, and are still going to react like in the most stereotypical, obvious, um, negative way if he ever was to put that stuff out there. So I would love to hear it, but I would, I completely get why he's so reticent not to put it out there.
1: 100%. All right. Um, Dom, we had Shane Malloy on, we, we had, uh, some questions from Twitter asking if uh, you could agree with Shane on uh, when the Canadians are going to leapfrog the the Maple Leafs because he put out the very, very bold prediction that the Canadians are going to go very progressive under Kent Hughes and Jeff Gordon and hire a huge staff and leapfrog the Maple Leafs within two years. What do you think, Don?
2: When's Matthew's contract up? Three years? I don't know. So nothing, nothing within the next three years because they have no one like Matthews and no one like Marner and no one like Taveras and no one like Nylander. And that's four really good players that'll be very hard to leapfrog past the leaps without that. Their defense is completely barren. And I think the fact that Romanov hasn't really taken that next step is, would be a bit frightening for me. I think there's a lot more work to do here than people probably realize. This team is unlucky. They are probably not as bad as this, but they are still not a good team. And I don't think even getting the 1st overall all pick will be enough. I don't think the 1st all pick the following year will be enough either. I think it will take some time. The Leafs are right now, unless they completely blow it up after another first-round loss, I, I think they're still going to be this strong regular season team for the foreseeable future.
1: Yeah, I think that's fair. Although it would be very funny if they did blow it. It it would be. What do um, you think? Let's let's talk about that for just a couple of minutes, and then we'll wrap the show up because I feel like we don't need to go super late on this stupid game. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> if the Leafs were to lose in the first round this year, what do you think is the move that they make? Because I feel like there's only one, like only one logical move that you could make that you could actually get value back on, and that would be to trade Marner, right? Because I feel like you could get an absolute windfall for him.
2: I I really don't know. Um, I feel like, logically, it shouldn't be hard to say, okay, the Leafs are going to play Tampa Bay or Florida or Boston in the first round. If they lose in the first round, that's not a normal first-round matchup. That is a shitty hand that they were dealt Um, the times to win were the last two years where they plays where they faced two not so good teams. And those were legitimate choke jobs, but this is going to be a very brutal matchup and it would make sense not to overreact. But then again, because of the last five years, they don't really have the benefit of doubt to not do that. The time is now and they will have to do something. I think, It will probably depend on what happens in that playoff series. If Marner, once again, does not show up, then it'll be hard to not advocate for moving him because he has the biggest contract in terms of underperforming out of the big four. And I think they can get good value on him because he's still a top flight winger, but it'd be a, a very tough move to win as well.
1: Yeah, I feel like the issue with all of that is like, you're trading Tavares, like it's a huge contract, he's probably not worth that on the open market anymore, but he's mm-hmm. still really damn good. And when you're giving up, like when you're asking a team to take that much salary, you get into like a diminishing returns. But Marner's like young, he plays in all situations, but the, then you're like, why the hell are you trading it? <laughs> I feel like the biggest issue that the Leafs have, honestly, is the Morgan Riley contract that they just signed. He's been
2: good this year. He's been... He has, but... Like, ever since he signed that, he legitimately looks like someone worth that much money. I think their bigger issue is that the last two off-seasons, they signed two 30-year-old defensemen, two big jails, and Brody's been pretty good this year. He was great last year, but Muzzin has looked old this year. He's looked bad, and that's made Justin Hall look terrible and they don't have a shutdown pair anymore. So I think Muzzin signed for like two or three more years after this, and that, that to me is a bigger issue than, than Riley's deal. I think Riley has been a bit underrated with his time leaves because his defense is obviously questionable, but I think what he brings offensively is among the best in the league from the blue line.
1: I agree. I just think that uh, with that much money, the mm-hmm. defenseman being bad at defense is probably not the ideal situation.
2: Yeah. Well, that's what I mean. Like this year, I think he's added a more complete element to his game and been a bit better defensively. Doesn't mean he's elite or anything, but I think he's been at least close to average, which is a big step up for him.
1: That is a big step up. Yeah. Jake Muzzin, do you think it's more about injuries? Because it seems like he has had trouble staying healthy since he's become a Leaf.
2: A little bit. And I think one of the underrated things about last year's series is that Muzzin was... I think injured in game five or six and game seven, he just was a complete shell of himself. And I don't think that gets talked about enough. And this year he's looked like a shell of himself. I think they should, if he's not looking good, just shut him down to the playoffs and get him hundred percent healthy. And hopefully he gives you the best hockey he can. Cause right now he does seem a bit fragile.
0: So pull a Tampa is what you're saying.
2: <laughs> get him on LTIR, bring in a, uh, Bring in some elite forward or defender at the deadline and uh just come in over the
1: cap. As as Dom says that Muzzin has not been good. I googled J- Jake Muzzin and the first result is Steve Simmons saying that Jake Muzzin is irreplaceable for the Toronto Maple Leafs. I That's will give you know. <laughs> I will give Steve the benefit of the doubt because I'm not going to read his column, unfortunately, for him.
0: Well, if uh, Steve says it, if Steve says it,
1: you yeah, know. <laughs> yeah, for sure maybe what he's arguing is that like healthy Muzzin mm-hmm. is like a huge reason why the Leafs are good. Right. Or like what Muzzin is at his peak is irreplaceable for the Maple Leafs. I'll give him the benefit of the doubt. Maybe he's saying that, or maybe it's Steve Simmons and we shouldn't give him the benefit of the doubt. <laughs> so let's your model this year, Dom against the teams in that you could face in the first round are not you, but the Maple Leafs. What are the chances that the Leafs actually do make out in the first round this year?
2: Uh, I think I would have them a coin flip against Florida and Tampa. I think those three teams are pretty close in that they have elite talent. They have depth. They have strong goaltending, and I think it'll be a close and very fun to watch series. I think Boston's a bit below them, but they're also Boston. I think if anything, that's the team that the Leafs would want, but ideally they slip into the Metro side of the bracket and maybe get a team like the Rangers, the capitals where, or they win the division and get one of those two teams. I think that'd be the best case scenario.
1: Yeah. I'm with you. I feel like the Rangers are a little bit of a paper tiger. Nobody's really talking about it, but
2: I I said that in the last power rankings and Rangers fans got super salty about it.
1: And (laughs) I mean the goal, like Shusterkin is amazing. Mm -hmm. Part trophy candidate, in my opinion, but I've seen teams be terrible at even strength and rely on goaltending, and it doesn't end nicely. (laughs) We've watched that in Montreal several times now, and it's just, it doesn't work. Sometimes it ends in a conference finals berth. This is true, when you have a 25% chance to win each round. (laughs) I think the Rangers will be a
2: bit better than that because they do have some elite Yes, they score as well. And they have Adam Fox as well. Their, their top end talent is so good. It's just that depth is so, so bad that if they face a deep team, that will probably be their own Like, I can't imagine the Rangers versus like Florida, where the Rangers they have four are like lines. The
1: weirdest rebuild I've ever seen because yeah. like all of their top end picks are severely underperforming or like not there for very little value. And then they brought in like a bunch of players who just like magically fell into their lap like panarin like uh Zabanajad, like that trade oh my god ottawa what the hell i mean
2: fox <laughs> fell yeah their adam lap too, fox cause... who's just
1: like i just want to play for the rangers and they're like uh sure we'll take like a generational defenseman for free why not <laughs> why not oh <laughs> uh, very lucky hopefully jeff gordon gets that lucky in montreal because i think the The Canadians need it. They need something. I would like to see a situation where, you know, three, four years down the road, the Canadians and the Maple Leafs meet again in the playoffs, but they're both actually good. And it's, you know, like go seven again. It it was an entertaining series, but I want to see like an actual entertaining series Mm -hmm. where one team isn't relying on hooking and cross-checking and carry price saving the day over and over again because... It was fine. It was satisfying to laugh at Leafs fans because the confidence level, obviously going in for good reason, was ridiculous. But yeah. uh, let's give it. Let's do a rematch when the teams are actually both good at the same time
2: mm-hmm. and healthy, and hopefully with a standard of officiating that isn't terrible.
0: Oh. <laughs> <laughs> that, one, that last one that. might be wishful
2: thinking. Yeah, we're
0: never going to yeah. get that. <laughs> both teams are going to be good much sooner than the officiating will ever be anywhere near decent. <laughs> that is a bold prediction
1: <laughs> and very true. <laughs> all right. We'll wrap it there. It was fun to chat with you all. And thanks everyone for tuning in. I don't know why you're here because if you're Canadian, well, if, if you're a Canadians fan, I don't know why you're here. Maybe it's just some catharsis after another crappy game and we have fun here and everything, but I do love you for tuning in. I say that at the end of every show now, because anybody who's still sticking with us in this shithole of a season you've got to really love it to be here so thank you <laughs> and thank you for to noha and dom uh first noha and then dom tell everybody where they can find your stuff
0: uh you can find me on hockey hijabi at, on twitter and or at hockey hijabi on twitter and you can find my writing at uh
2: you can find me on twitter at dom Lushishin. it is spelled how it sounds And my writing is uh, at The Athletic. It's a small indie startup that talks about sports.
1: It's not a startup anymore. You're owned by the New York Times. That was the joke. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Thanks, everyone. Talk to you on Thursday.